We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Uh, Give us a call if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And lots of things to discuss tonight, but Joe Biden has admitted that his voter drive for newly naturalized citizens is the Democrats' latest act of federal election interference. At least that's the headline here in The Federalist. Listen to this. The Biden administration announced on Friday its plans to use U.S. taxpayer dollars to register newly naturalized citizens to vote. This marks the latest attempt to use federal bureaucracies to interfere in American elections. In the memo, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USICS, an agency within the Department of Homeland Security, announced it had updated its policy to include provisions directing the agency's employees to increase awareness and expand access to voter registration during naturalization ceremonies. This is the equivalent of when you go to register or renew your driver's license and they say, oh, would you like to vote? Would you like to vote? And this is one more attempt. And some will argue this is an attempt at civic engagement, but I guarantee you this isn't the case in so many states. It's only the case in the bluest of states, because they realize if they can force you into registering, once you're on the voter rolls, they can do what they want because you're on the voter rolls, whether you show up to vote or not. And they can go and get you. And listen, I get it. It's a political motive. It's not really a civic motive, but it is what it is. And uh, this is their plan to increase awareness and expand access to voter registration during the naturalization ceremonies, which they say Uh, eligible immigrants officially become U.S. citizens so that they can invite them to vote. The guidelines specifically direct USICS to provide newly ordained citizens, quote, access to voter registration services at the ceremonies and additional information, quote, regarding points of contact for voting and voter registration. So, I mean, it's very clear that they're letting people in, they're getting them through the citizenship process, and they're trying to get them to vote. If they thought they were going to vote for Donald Trump or any other Republican, do you think for a second that they would be so eager to get them to register to vote? I'll let you decide. My answer, absolutely not. That's something Joe El Baboso Biden would never want. Anyway, this new um, regulation also includes 
uh, the um, directives for USICS employees to request local or state election officials to attend certain ceremonies to distribute, collect, and review voter registration applications. So imagine that they're like, hey, you're a new American. Put your hand on the Bible. Raise your, uh, your, your right hand. Swear to the flag that you're an American. Do the whole oath and everything. And then say, oh, by the way, our county clerk is here so that they can get your voter registration card so that you can vote. Now, listen, it sounds like a one-stop shop, and I'm sure it, there's some benefit to it that way. But I can't help but think this is a scheme for them to register people the way they want to register them and get them to do their bidding in an election. But hey, it's fair game, all's fair in love, war, and politics, right? So the new guidelines provide uh, to the extent that feasible USICS offices invite government and non-government organizations to offer on-site voter registration services to introduce themselves and address the naturalization candidates before the ceremony. So before you put your left hand in the Bible, raise your right hand to the flag. By the way, this is our friend so-and-so. He's from the office. He's going to help you vote for Democrats. That's how I see it. It's your job to prove me wrong. I don't think it's going to happen because I think I'm right on this one. This is just a blatant play to get new voters. And that's the only way you win in any election is to get new voters. And they're figured out we can import the voters. And here we are. Now, as noted in the USICS uh, press release, the updates to the agency's policy manual are designed to support Executive Order 14019, a directive signed by President Joe El Baboso Biden back in March of 2021, requiring hundreds of federal agencies to interfere in the electoral process by using taxpayer dollars to boost voter registration get out, and get out the vote activities. Uh, the Federalist has previously reported Voter registration efforts are almost always partisan and often involve left-wing groups that abuse their nonprofit status to likely um, target people that would lean Democrat. And there you go. That's according to Biden's uh, executive order 14019. This is where we are, folks. Not a great place to be. They're abusing every power that they have in America to do what they do. And that's where they are. Now, tonight, we're going to get into a couple of different things. We've got Professor Margot Cleveland from The Federalist. She's the senior legal correspondent. We're going to talk about all things Trump uh, and this indictment when it comes to the DOJ's collusion to try and thwart uh, Congress's questions. Uh, we're also going to talk about the trial date being moved to right before Super Tuesday. If that's not an act of election interference, I don't know what is. We're going to get to that. Uh, then a little bit later down the road, we're going to talk with uh, James Herson. Uh, he's a best-selling author and a lawyer who is going to give us his thoughts on communism from the perspective of Dr. Zhivago, the 1957 book. So uh, that's going to be fun. And, of course, um, at 11.30 Eastern time, we're going to have Sarah Doubt. She's the founder of Mingly, uh, which is an app. It's kind of like a, a GPS for your social life where um, people can go and, um, and meet other people. It's like a dating type of app. And she's going to talk to us about why everybody's able to date and kind of do relatively well, except for Generation Z that somehow is afraid of speaking on the telephone. I don't know. I, I speak on the telephone every day. I enjoy speaking to people. But apparently Gen Z, they, they kind of get weirded out by it, and it causes an obstacle for them. So we're going to get to the bottom of that as well, plus your calls. Let me give you the number for that, 
888-3334-VALDEZ. And remember, in the third and final hour of the program, we've got Open Phone America. I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys on any topic. It's been a great uh, week so far. With uh, Last night, we had an excellent Open Phones um, hour, and uh, I'm hoping to repeat that tonight. So, again, at that number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I think it's a realistic date, Jake, given that it's a one-defendant case. Uh, I remember talking to you at the time of this indictment, and there's some question about why did Jack Smith just indict Donald Trump? and have six unindicted co-conspirators. I think today is the reason why he did that. Um, he decided that to get this case moved to trial, he had to restrict it to one defendant. He indicted the person he felt was most culpable. Um, and today, I think what the judge did was twofold. One, um, she gave them another six months to get ready for trial in a single defendant case. And two, she made it quite clear to the Trump legal team that the public relations games that they and their client play are not going to impact the decisions that she makes in the courtroom. Former Governor Chris Christie on CNN yesterday uh, discussing the uh, trial date in Georgia. Now, the United States District Judge Tanya Shutkin, she's moved the scheduled trial date of former President Trump um, for his federal case to March 4th a day before Super Tuesday. Our guest is none other than the senior legal correspondent for The Federalist and uh, Professor Margot Cleveland. Welcome. Thank you so much. You bet. So I'm looking at a piece um, that, that uh, one of them that you wrote and another one that is, is just uh, indicating what's going on with this case. And it seems like there's a lot out there, and we're hearing so much on the news, but I'd like you to help us make sense of this move in the date of the trial. Well, there, there really isn't sense to make of it. It is absolutely political that they are trying to rush this trial, which, yes, it is one defendant, but it has a huge case with documents and preparation. And, you know, I have several colleagues who have litigated in criminal cases, and this is completely out of the norm for what you would have, that you would have the case even set for trial at this point, as opposed to going through some of the pretrial discovery issues and motions. So this, this, this date is ridiculous. I cannot believe that it would stand, that the attorneys would not challenge it, that it's providing Trump the inability to have effective assistance of counsel, that, he, they, that the attorneys would have time to look through all the details. 
But even beyond that, the charge is ridiculous that they're trying to somehow convict Trump of violations which had to do with him challenging the election and making it a criminal matter. So that entire case is completely ridiculous, which, frankly, they all are. Now, Professor Margaret Cleveland, I want to ask you a question, because while I, I you know, I think a lot of people they will turn into to conservative leaning news and news commentary or they'll listen to talk radio and they'll say, man, yeah, it's a foregone conclusion. These charges are bogus. But yet it's a reality in real life that Trump is getting fingerprinted and taking having his mugshot taken. And, and I'm thinking a lot of people are confused by this, thinking that either we're full of it and the, the left and those the left within the government, the left within the media are are accurate or these are bogus charges that seem to be sticking. How do we make sense of that? Well, it, it's difficult because. What you're seeing is two different groups with two different bases of knowledge. And the corporate media, the legacy media, does not have a lot of the details and, frankly, doesn't care about them. So if you look just at the Georgia case, for instance, you have them continuing to present this as fake electors when really the idea of the electors and alternative electors dates back to the 1960s and when uh, President Kennedy and at that time Nixon were... Right. Nixon was actually leading in Hawaii. And yet you still have the legacy press calling them fake electors. The thing is you have to ask most people what they think. It's going to come on based on their news sources and whether or not they believe that. So it really is a a story of two Americas where we have two different sources of news. I myself actually read and try to process what the, the other side, so to speak, is saying because I want to be able to report accurately. And the only way I can do that is kind of seeing what the devil's advocate is presenting. I don't think that it goes the the same way when you are talking about what the Washington Post or the New York Times are doing. They read it, but they they come in with a pre, the predisposition that this is not accurate, as opposed to I look at it as what they write is a kind of a fact check for me, and, and if I'm wrong, I want to know it. I think we all do, and and what's what's so interesting here is lamentably we see. We see the, the the media just spew all of this crazy out there, and then it's like up to everybody else to kind of sort it out and make sense of it. And people are just left with the idea that yeah, I guess it's right. I guess it's it's okay to put your political enemies in jail. And I feel like it's a pivotal moment in American society. Like you know, the legality of it aside, just the 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 effect on the body politic to me seems very severe. Absolutely, and in some ways. The the prior discussion of how do we have these two different views, that's part of the problem. But the bigger problem is really where we are as a country, that we are seeing the Biden administration prosecuting the political opponent of Biden. And at the same time, the Biden's DOJ preventing an investigation into Joe Biden where there is overwhelming evidence 
of corruption. So it, we are in a new stage in our country's history, and it's not a good one. How solid of a defense or an argument is it to say that the DOJ guidelines have always kind of precluded the DOJ from going after anybody or investigating them publicly during a election cycle and them switching gears and changing at this time. And now you even have the judge, according to the AP, saying the public has a right to a prompt and efficient resolution of this matter. Uh, is that a defense or is it just uh, them deciding to change gears? Well, the guidelines, of course, are not controlling. So the DOJ can ignore those. It isn't a law that has to be enforced or is enforceable in any way. It, it's more prudential. And that's probably why they're pushing for such a quick trial, so that they can argue that it has nothing to do with the election. It was done ahead of time. But from a practical standpoint, it is not adequate time for Trump's defense attorneys to be able to prepare. And I highly doubt that it's going to go forward because you're going to have appeals challenging his ability to have a adequate defense, which he definitely has the right to. So, yes, there's these guidelines, and that's something that the DOJ can ignore if they want. But the judge's argument about the public has a right to you know, prompt justice that would maybe would hold more bearing if they cared about it in any other case. But you're seeing all the J6 defendants mm -hmm. lingering and, you know, and some of them in jail. And yet their simple cases are not going to trial quickly. So I, I don't see how anyone can look at it objectively and say that this is done for valid reasons, including Chris Christie, who as should be completely obvious to everyone, has a vendetta against Trump. And the thing that is so ironic is if Christie didn't want Trump to be president, he wouldn't be running. He would drop out, as would every other candidate who is running as kind of the anti-Trump, including former Vice President Pence, mm. so that the voters would have a narrower selection and allow the votes to accumulate. The fact that they don't shows this has nothing to do with their desire to prevent Trump from being in the White House. It has everything to do with their own ego and desire to maybe make a buck by being a talking head or sell some books or to virtue mm -hmm. sign. So I think that Chris Christie, for him to be out there as a talking head is the the you know flag bearer for the anti-Trump movement is pretty hilarious because of his involvement in the primaries. It, it's just preventing them from having a candidate who could take Trump on if that's what you really wanted. Right. He's actually a candidate and he's a talking head and he's the biggest critic. Folks, we're on with Professor Margot Cleveland. She's the Federalist Senior Legal Correspondent. And uh, we're coming right back with her to discuss what's going on with these emails that are, have been discovered. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it 
in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back. Our guest is Margot Cleveland. She's a senior legal correspondent at The Federalist and the author of a piece that I'm looking at, an exclusive. U.S. Attorney Weiss colluded with the Department of Justice to thwart congressional questioning, according to emails. The emails show the DOJ repeatedly intervened on behalf of the Delaware U.S. Attorney to respond to Hunter Biden-related congressional inquiries. And this is interesting, and this is all... um, part of a FOIA request obtained by the Heritage Foundation. And I think it's very telling. Professor Cleveland, welcome back. Tell us um, what you gleaned from this. There were several things that I was able to glean from the, the FOIA request and the response. And let's actually just start there with the FOIA request. The DOJ was dragging their feet on providing documents and actually forced the Heritage Foundation to file a lawsuit And a judge ordered the DOJ to start providing these documents. So that alone is pretty telling that they're holding these kind of documents back. So that's kind of the backdrop for it. But what the documents showed, and again, this is an early part of the production. I have a feeling there's going to be some that are even more shocking coming out later. But what these documents showed was that when inquiries were made to U.S. Attorney Weiss, who is the Delaware U.S. Attorney, who's now the special counsel, not investigating, I mean, investigating Hunter Biden. What we have here is Congress is asking for information, and Weiss is working with the Department of Justice Office of Legislative Affairs, and they are jumping in and responding to the questions on behalf of Weiss. And, of course, the response is, well, we can't say anything. So from that, a couple of things. One, it is completely normal that the Office of Legislative Affairs comes in and does handle questions for U.S. attorneys' offices. But in this case, the Department of Justice has been assuring us that Weiss is the guy. He's the bottom line. He's the one who makes the calls. And yet they are working with him to thwart the investigation that Congress is doing, trying to get information. The second part of it, which is bigger than that, is what happened with a letter that Weiss sent to 
Congress that said, I am in charge. I have final authority to investigate. Weiss sent that letter, and that was in response to a question that was sent to U.S. Attorney Garland. So what you have here is when Congress asked Weiss questions, the DOJ responded. And when Congress asked the Department of Justice through Attorney General Garland questions, Weiss responded. It's kind of a neat little trick that they are responding to each inquiry. But we, we kind of have to go a step further here. What Weiss was doing when he took over and responded on behalf of Garland was giving Garland cover. He, Weiss, was saying, no, just as Attorney General Garland said, I am in charge of this. I have the ability to make these final calls. He was doing this to back up the testimony that the Attorney General had made. But what Weiss didn't know at that time was that the whistleblowers not only had testified that Weiss had told them he wasn't the final decision maker, but also that they documented it in an email sent after the meeting. That's pretty important because what happened after that? After that was released, Weiss had to go do a follow-up letter and said, oh, yeah, I stand by everything I said, but let me just clarify what I meant when I said I was in charge, which is, well, I was in charge if I asked to be in charge. And when you look at that letter, another thing that was kind of key there is there's reference in a footnote to something called the Linder letter. And I had a source and then a second source who went on the record, one of uh, the attorneys for Gary uh, Shapley, who said he used to work in the Hill, and he worked a lot with this Office of Legislative Affairs. That language comes straight from them. That's something Mm. they would say, which leads us to the conclusion that this wasn't a Weiss letter that he drafted was something that Garland's folks did. And yet Weiss, when asked about it, said that his office drafted it. So what we have is a cover-up of a cover-up of a cover-up. And the only way to get to the bottom of this is for the House to finally step up and start with some impeachment inquiries, not just of Joe Biden, but of Weiss, of Garland and also of the FBI director, because they've all been involved in protecting the Biden family. This is remarkable. And folks, if, if you um, want to follow everything that's going on, you can check out uh, Professor Cleveland's piece on thefederalist.com, the headline, exclusive U.S. Attorney Weiss colluded with the Department of Justice to thwart congressional questioning, uh, according to emails. And Professor Cleveland, I think this is so, um, obviously it's crazy, right? It's very outlandish. Right. And it's like, wow, how could this be happening? But I, I almost feel like the rest of America, when we look at this and think, but don't they get away with everything they do anyway? Like, is there a way to stop them? But for people finding things out, like heritage and whatever, we might right. find things out, but can we actually stop things? I think that is really the question that our country is facing right now is, Are we too far gone with the power in D.C., the power of the bureaucrats, the power of the press that doesn't act as a free press, 
And I honestly don't know what the answer is. Are we too far gone that nothing's going to happen and the press will cover it up and business will continue as usual? Or is there still hope? Can the populace basically demand their republic back? And that's really going to be a question for the the people of the country. Not the talking heads, not the, the pundits, not the politicians, not the the bureaucrats in D.C., but it's going to be the moms and the dads, the aunts and the uncles who care about this country, who are, who are going to decide whether or not anything ever happens. Scary stuff. Folks, uh, Professor Margot Cleveland, you can check out her piece uh, on The Federalist. Uh, Margot Cleveland, let everybody know how they can keep in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing. Great. So, I, as you noted, I'm over at The Federalist. I'm also on Twitter at Prof. MJ Cleveland, so P-R-O-F-M-J Cleveland. And I do, a, you know, link to the different articles that I write, but I also sometimes do little threads that highlight things that are breaking. So love to engage with people there. Outstanding. Well, Professor Marco Cleveland, I want to thank you for being with us. You explain it better than, than just about anybody else, so I really do appreciate your time tonight. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Folks, there is more to come. Your calls and more coming up. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. known you several years now. I want the audience to know what a wonderful, decent person you are. Very, very thoughtful. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, familia. Let's go to the phones. Let's check in with Matt near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. Hello, Rich. Nice to talk to you again. How you doing? Likewise, brother. Doing great, thank God. Very, Very good. Um, I have three quick points without telling anybody who to vote for. Three things to consider has to do with their amount of, you know, their pocketbook. One, how do you like your fuel prices before you vote? Any fuel. That's one. Number two, I'm going to condense it for you. Number two, how do you like your grocery prices? And number three, how do you like the interest you're paying on any debts you might carry? That's a nice thing, a very smart thing for a voter to consider before they cast their ballot. Is it not, Rich? Absolutely. Let me tell you, that's a very persuasive. You should work on somebody's campaign. How do you like the price of your fuel? Any fuel. And you're right on that one. And uh, the other one, with uh, respect to any debt you're carrying, credit cards, mortgages, you name it and whatnot, everybody's paying through the nose on that stuff unless you're locked into one of those really, really low mortgages that came out of a year or two ago. So, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on with that, Matt. Now, what do you think about this malfeasance we were talking about or alleged malfeasance from the Department of Justice colluding to um, protect Hunter Biden? What do you make of that? I'm aghast by it. And I, I want to tell you, Rich, I'm not, I'm not a patronizer. You're, you're the can't miss show, I told Tom. I'm my own boss, and that, that's the way it's going to be. If I don't listen to your show, I'm going to listen, and I will. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I think it's important, not because I'm here, but because some of the stuff we talk about is just kind of crazy that like this is, 
you know, every day there's more and more information that's just um, just odd. You know, even if you want to be objective, it's just at some point you reach a point where you say, this is just out of control. This looks very fishy. And sadly, that's exactly where we are, Matt. I appreciate the call, my brother, and for you listening in. Uh, Matt, near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Big shout out to everybody in North Carolina. And we continue. We continue with our calls across the country. Let's go to Michigan. Check in with Kim on KDKA, America's oldest radio station. Kim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thank you. Um, what I wanted to ask you about um, is uh, what's happening right now. In Michigan, I, I had called about this a couple of weeks ago, but our 16 alternate electors from 2020 were all arrested and charged with felonies for following the Constitution. But my question, and then they're doing it in all these other um, swing states, but my question is this. The um, Mike Pence said President Trump didn't have the option to do that. And the Democrat, the Commiecrat said President Trump that there was no such rule. Um, everybody said that this thing didn't exist in the Constitution. I, I believe you called it the Electro- Electoral Count Act. Yeah. where if there's malfeasance, they can send it back to the state houses to uh, figure out who really won in their state. Yeah, but well, and again, that was just a result this. of that happening, right? Uh, with the um, Hayes-Tilden election in 1874, they they couldn't come up with a winner. So there was an issue, and they had to come up with the Electoral Count Act as a result of that. At that time, what they ended up doing was having the Supreme Court decide who um, who would make up the who would vote on this? And they came up with a committee of Supreme Court members, members of Congress and and uh, another body. And that's how they came up with it. But they said, we can't do this every time. We have to have a plan. So they came up with the Electoral Count Act and passed it. Uh, but you're right. The, the ambiguity, um, and, and I'll, I'll bring you back in for a second. I just wanted to put this thought out there. The ambiguity that exists is that Trump was trying to utilize every opportunity he had to say, look, I don't think this is right. Let's try this. And I feel like Vice President Pence wasn't as willing to try something that has never been proven, right? What Trump tried to do wasn't proven. It's not something that's been done before, so there was no precedent for it. Uh, It doesn't mean it's not legal and it's not possible. It means it would have ended up in court and they would have had to figure out whether it was legal or possible. But it seemed like Vice President Pence was not even trying to do that. He kind of said, look, if this hasn't happened before, there's no precedent. I'm done. I'm not involved. I don't want to be with it. And... I think it's for that reason that the president at that time resented him and that many supporters of the president also resent him. But I also understand his position, whereas he was like, look, I haven't seen this happen before. How am I going to go ahead and try that? I would think if you're going to be anybody's vice president, you're their vice president, right? You're literally the second to command. You've got their back. You're there to make them look good. And the last thing you're going to do in a crucial moment is say, nah, I'm not going to try that. That hasn't been proven before. I think that's kind of lame. Kim. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I set all that up to ask this. This is my real question. And I, I hope you know um, um, the answer because I don't. But when the um, the other side did their 
omnibus bill about less than a year ago. They added an obscure line in there that voided that out of the Constitution. They said it didn't exist, but then they added it to their bill to void it out. I don't think that's legal. I don't think you can remove stuff from the Constitution by just adding a line into an omnibus bill. Uh, was that legal what they did? Yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't know anything about that. I'll have to take a look at that. But as far as I know, absolutely not. You, you can't change the, the, the Constitution without the um, two-thirds supermajority vote. That's not happening. So I, they probably tried to put a bill in there to, you know, uh, as part of another bill, a regulation within the bill, to change the way they view things, uh, like an amendment to the Electoral Count Act, which they could vote on and, and have voted into law as a matter of law. Um, that's possible. But you can't actually change the Constitution without a constitutional amendment and that type of, um, like I said, that majority that you require to do that. So I wouldn't sweat that too much. Those are things that, that can always be worked around. And I'll look around to see exactly what you're talking about. I think I remember somebody um, mentioning that. But ultimately, th these silly laws, whether they're executive orders or or congressional rules that are antithetical to the Constitution, ultimately, they never stand up in court. And that's why you've seen Biden lose so many times or even Trump lost several things in court. Obama lost a ton of times because when you try to push something just on the merits of you, that you can, it doesn't make it necessarily right or constitutional. So and that's all I've got on that one, Kim. Thank you for the call, folks. We'll return to your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue our discussion with you guys if you want to join us, 833 uh, But I wanted to close out this hour before we get to the, the next hour where we're going to discuss uh, a lot of interesting things, uh, not the least of which is communism. Communism is a serious thing. And I know some of you listening now are like, oh, there he goes, finding a commie behind every bush. Yes, don't show me any bushes. I'll find you the commies. I, I believe that there are so many things that have such, um, at least have their roots in communism, right? Not the least of which is uh, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all out crazy AOC. Now, AOC is not just a progressive firebrand like she's painted to be. She's like a modern-day American Che Guevara. That's exactly how she comes across. She's a little bit more demure, and she's a female, so it's a little softer. But at the end of the day, the rhetoric is the same. It's still the same talk about the big, bad, imperialist United States. Now, I know that there's people out there that say, well, you know, um, you don't have to be a communist sympathizer to, to rail against a big, bad, imperialist uh, United States. And I would say, I disagree. I think that when you start railing against a big, bad, imperialist United States, it's not that you just see this country as overstepping its boundaries and being imperialistic in its nature. 
No, it's because you're repeating talking points by people that sympathize with Fidel and Che and Stalin and Putin, if you will. And I think that to me is, is the larger problem. We have to wake up and realize who we are and that the idea of having a President Xi like they have in China, president for life, that's not an American idea and it's not an idea that I would like to have, right? I hope it's not an idea you'd like to have. And if it is, then we have to have that discussion and have that debate and let the better idea win. But the suggestion that somehow we're just bad because we're bad and that we should somehow bow to the to the pressures of our critics on the left just because, well, that's just crazy. I'm not doing it, and I hope you're not either. Anyway, stick with us, folks. We're going to continue our conversation with James Herson. He's scheduled to be with us, and we're going to discuss lessons on communism from Dr. Zhivago. You remember that 1957 book by uh, Boris Pasternak. We're going to discuss that with James Herson and a lot more, plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there are. Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. Octane action in the dust, a new film puts. Our staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And Biden continues to seek long-term military aid to Ukraine to prevent the next president from scaling back funding. Look at that. What a surprise. Uh, There's also um, some news coming out from Capitol Hill. House Republicans are announcing that the Department of Justice gave uh, Hunter Biden special privileges in the tax case. We talked about that with Professor Margot Cleveland, and we'll uh, touch on that again in the top of the third hour. I also want to talk a little bit about communism. And, you know, I was kind of talking about it before, but communism is is not a throwback to yesteryear, but I would say it's it's kind of made a comeback, right? It's back in vogue, sadly. And in the United States, there's, you know, there's Bernard Sanders and AOC and all those that are kind of communist, communist light with uh, their new label of progressive. But it doesn't really change the fundamental tenets of what they believe. And I think it's important that we always um, talk about that. And I want to talk about that with James Herson. Uh, he's a lawyer and a media psychologist, New York Times bestselling author and commentator and 
the the topic we're going to discuss is lessons on communism from Dr. Shivago. And I think that's uh, an interesting take. James Herson, welcome. Hey, great to be with you, Rich. Yeah, it's a really important subject, I think. Uh, it used to be the study of communism and why it's inherently evil used to be a part of civics curriculum in schools. And mm-hmm. in the 1950s, our history has been revised. Uh, they call the period where people understood the evils of communism, they call it the period of the Red Scare, you know. And we should be scared of communism because, yeah, if we look at the track record, um, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people suffering and approximately 100 million deaths from the ideology and and communism, besides being evil, is a scam. And so, you know, that's why I I, I had thought um, of a, a couple of things in film history, you know, and uh, one of them was uh, Andy Garcia's movie, um, the, the Lost, it was The Lost uh, Nation, The Lost, but it was about the, um, what had occurred in Cuba when the communists uh-huh. took over, when Batista uh, uh, lost power and Castro took over. But then I thought about Dr. Zhivago, and I really, I, I loved that film, and it's on so many film buffs' best movies list. It's a long one. It's a three-hour movie like Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. but I think it's better because it's, it's got a little bit of something for everyone it is a great score. It is an incredible cast um, and just a brilliant story written by a guy who was a poet and an author named Boris Pasternak, who really is the main character of Yuri Zhivago, um, because Pasternak found his writing, his poetry, and particularly this novel, censored just as the main character of this book and film did. So it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's worth a watch even with the three hours and it has such uh, a great cast and a romance in it. So um, it has a chick movie quality as we used to call those films that appealed (laughs) to romance. And at the same time, it has a, um, just an incredible historical backdrop, uh, World War One, and of course the Russian Revolution, and what happened to individuals as communism took over, what what they went through, and I think it's just um, so utterly misunderstood, especially by young people, that you know I felt the need to I, I to tell some of my family members and friends to take a peek at this movie. And, uh, of course, you were talking about the um, Andy Garcia movie, The Lost City, originally. The and, Lost yeah. City. Yeah, The Lost playing. City. Right, and and uh, and it's true. Dr. Zhivago was banned in um, the old Soviet Union. And uh, it's fascinating how that, you know, we're still seeing that today with China when they see something they don't like. 
that may call them out or whatever. They just say, nope, we're, we're not doing that. You're not allowed to do it here. Uh, folks, let me remind everybody, we're on with James Herson. Uh, he is a media psychologist, author, and a scholar. And uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation because, you know, usually I'm the guy defending you know, saying it's not red scare, it's real. <laughs> yeah. And and they're usually coming at me saying that I'm, uh, you know, suffering from um, from McCarthy. So uh, I think it's great that we have this discussion. And James Herson, what's your take on this? Um, I'm going to call it the resurgence of communism in America. And I know it really hasn't gone anywhere, but I feel like it's making a comeback and it's becoming popularized by the the, the left within the media, the left within our government. What say you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the teachings of Karl Marx, he's the founding father of communism, are the same teachings that have been embraced by leftist organizations and groups for, you know, you know many decades. But particularly now, when we have these um, far left people that hold political office, like the squad, and uh, far-left organizations that uh, commit criminal acts uh, that are mostly peaceful protests, uh, and they uh, and on their websites and in their speeches, they're praising Marxist principles, and they're practicing uh, right now all through the Western world what is known as cultural. Marxism. Right. It's very similar to what happened in the Russian Revolution and what was uh, depicted in Dr. Zhivago, um, because people were divided against each other, just like they are today. And um, the key thing, one of the key scenes in Dr. Zhivago is when he leaves the battlefront, he's a um, a, a wartime doctor, a medic, and he goes back to his family home and he discovers that the Soviets have taken over his community, the community organizers that there are called commissars have taken over in there. Instead of his family being in his home, there are 13 families in his home hmm. and he is forced um to say how just this is and how wonderful this is because he realizes the brutal ruthlessness of the people who are in power. Um, But it shows a very important principle of Marxism and communism is that personal property ownership ultimately is diminished and eventually abolished. But that's because that's an individual right. Um, and all of the important freedoms and rights are individual. They're the right of free speech, the right to freely worship, um, the right of having due process as an individual accused of a crime. These are all things that involve the individual. But you notice the emphasis now in our country and all throughout the West of group thinking and group action and the individual as it was in the Russian revolution must be sacrificed for the good of the group and the good of the group narrative. And we see that in in any individual 
who counters the narrative all of a sudden is finding themselves um, suppressed, censored, etc. And there's a whole host of narratives um, that there's that debate is being eliminated. I mean, we live we live in a time when we, for no um, expressed reason, mm-hmm. we saw the top cable host in the world basically taken off the air. I'm talking about Tucker Carlson. Of course. And, and of course, C- Tucker Carlson was an individualistic uh, person who countered a series of narratives with um, sources and with experts. And of course, we, we, we went through uh, the period where, and now they, it seems like we're in a time when they want to bring it back using um, public health as an excuse. Oh boy. Individual freedoms. Um, and so it's just, there's so many parallels to the time of the Soviet revolution and the founding fathers of communism, not only Marx, but Lenin, Vladimir Lenin and sure. Leon Trotsky. Um, and also it's interesting because communism is, um, completely inconsistent with God, the notion of Marx didn't, wasn't just an atheist or militant atheist. He wrote about his hatred for God. He, he wanted, um, to, uh, to, to have people totally reject any religious institutions and religious practices. And we see the incredible animosity for uh, religious groups, for religion. And I'm talking about more traditional religions, but um, religions that impose values are the ones where there's this hostility that is exactly like the hostility that you know, we see from communists. So a lot of people, I, th- I think, have said that America has more elements of communism today that, than ever. And there's been people trying to bring that in, going all the way back, you know, to the really the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. And so it's, um, I think it's, so Dr. Zhivago and, and, Works of art like that uh, g- give us warnings, and we need to, we really need to heed those warnings. They're timeless classics. Folks, we're on with James Herson. Uh, he's an attorney and media psychologist, as well as an author and cultural commentator, and I'm enjoying this conversation on the parallels between Dr. Shivago and the communist movement that's still afoot in the United States and globally, in my opinion. And we're going to continue our discussion uh, with uh, respect to communism in America and Marxism throughout our culture when we return. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
All right, America, welcome back. And, you know, we're talking about communism and the effects of which are here in the United States. And so many people say, look, 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 socialism isn't communism. You know, progressivism isn't communism. But the reality is they're they're all birds of a feather, right? And Bernie Sanders is constantly flirting with the line, always bringing up things from the former USSR Constitution and recommending them as new policy in America all of these um, required government programs. And it makes me wonder, he's not ashamed. He embraces his inner commie. But there's a lot of them out there that don't embrace their inner commie. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that. James Herson, best-selling author, cultural commentator, and uh, media psychologist. Because I feel like it's, um, it's an important issue that we need to kind of be cognizant of, James Herson. Oh, absolutely. Look, it's one of the ways that we learn about socialism. Socialism is like a gateway drug to communism. Uh, Sweden (laughs) has always been outed by Bernie Sanders as the example of European democratic socialism. And now Sweden has been forced to almost completely abandon that concept for the free market. Uh, But for innovators, people, entrepreneurs. Uh, There was no government bureaucrat, as Milton Friedman always points out, who told Henry Ford, could you uh, invent an automobile? No, there was no (laughs) government involved when Thomas Edison invented the, uh, the phonograph. And all the great innovations came from individuals who were free. And it's like um, I remember teaching about the free market in a class, and I mentioned just a story that I had where I, I had to go buy orange juice uh, for my wife, and I had to call her up because I was so surprised to see that there was orange juice with pulp, without pulp. With right, how many options there were. <laughs> and it's just it's incredible. Now you go to the dairy case and you see oat milk and almond milk and uh, you know, sweetened and unsweetened. And how does it get there? What government central planning group puts all these wonderful choices in that case for people to buy? None, because it's the freedom right. that allows it to happen. And when there is central planning, you get one brand of orange juice, like in Cuba, Fidel orange juice. You stand in line, it tastes terrible. And you have no choice. So that's why socialism gives birth to communism. When I called them a scam in the last segment, um, it's beyond Bernie Madoff, because communism as a system always ends up with basically um, robber barons who spout socialism at the top, the elites, and everyone in misery. So the full born, full expression of communism in today's world is North Korea, where Kim Kim Jong-un and and some family members close to him live basically uh, uh, like a monarchy, 
and the rest of the people are intentionally suppressed, uh, intentionally given starvation. And it's very similar. You know, I mentioned like in uh, going back to Dr. Chicago, one of the key things is individual ownership of property. Well, we know that what we see now from global elites, one of their slogans is you will own nothing right. and you will be happy. And be happy. Well, that, that's James Hurston, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to make sure you have time to plug your website and let people know how to get your books. Oh, sure. And my, my website is jamesherson, H-I-R-S-E-N.com. I write for newsmax.com. I have a new piece going up there tomorrow. All right, folks, you heard it. Go to newsmax.com. Check out James Hurston. You're a patriot, a scholar, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. America, welcome back. And there's uh, there's a piece in the New York Post questioning how Gen Z does goes about their dating and whether their aversion to phone calls has created a, a brutal trend amongst them, saying that they're phone phobic, causing them to be a little bit tacky or even rude. And this is something I find interesting because I have two kids, and I think they're both considered Gen Z, right? 18 and 22. And it's rare. It's rare that they actually pick up a phone and call me, right? We talk, but when my phone rings and I see, like, so-and-so calling, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I hope they didn't have a car accident, right? (laughs) Because it's usually some sort of uh, something a little bit more important than just texting. And uh, I I just, uh, I think of that, and I just think, well, that's just how Gen Z people communicate. But there might be more to that. And we've got the founder of Mingly, uh, which is like a, a GPS for your social life. Sarah Doubt is our guest. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here, Rich. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, I, I always love these topics. People think that I like to bash Gen Z. I don't. <laughs> I like to understand them. And I feel like they're almost yeah. like a different set of humans sometimes. <laughs> uh, that's that's just my own uh, naivete and ignorance, and I'm hoping to overcome that with conversations like this one. So uh, thanks for joining me. Let, let's talk a little bit about this, because I think some people, whether they're like me, I'm a Gen Xer, they may date and they might find, uh, you know, I don't really want to talk to everybody on the phone, a couple of texts here and there, and maybe I'd, I'd rather see you at dinner and really spend time with you in real life. But there are people that are really attached to having, you know, long phone calls or even frequent short phone calls. But it, you're right, um, or at least this article is right, in in so much as a lot of Gen Zs, at least the ones I know, they don't really pick up the phone and call. What say you? Yeah, that's exactly right, Rich. And I think it's important to kind of back up and, and, and you know, start from the beginning. Um, you know, how did this phone phobia start? Um, and it's really about, you know, them being the digital natives. They're, they were born into an era of Wi-Fi, Google, and social media. And they've had these virtual platforms at their fingertips since birth. Um, right. And, you know, ph- phone phobia originated from, 
Gen Z's reliance on smartphones as extensions of their lives. And then you had COVID, which, which only amplified it by forcing even more dependency on screens for everything that they do, for you know, work, education, and socializing. And they haven't really had a chance or really a need to flex those verbal communication muscles. And then to make it worse, unfortunately, all those social connection tools, the dating apps and the platforms have only let them down because they're purely virtual in nature. And so that's why we created Mingly. So tell us about Mingly a little bit, because I think it's, um, I find it interesting that the, that there's a, an app that there's a ton of apps out there, but uh, I'd like to learn specifically about this one because you're right in so much as the, this particular group has been kind of stifled. They weren't on the phone to begin with, and then they were kind of trapped with this coronavirus uh, lockdown. And the rest of the generations, the millennials, the Gen Xers, boomers, et cetera, they've had a lot of life prior to, right? This was really the, you know, my daughter spent two years of her high school almost locked down. And I thought that was really messed up for her because my high school experience was fantastic. So tell us about Mingly. Yeah, yeah. So Mingly is a, a woman-owned and led social connection company. Um, and we, we're on a mission to revolutionize the way people meet and make genuine in-person connections. So like you mentioned earlier, imagine it as a GPS or a Waze for your social life. It's going to guide you to the right connections, relationships, and to a community where people are incentivized to help others. So, you know, no more limitations to, to purely virtual interactions, uh, because now you can use Mingly to unlock your, your full potential. Um, and it's, again, it's really offering a solution um, to the issue of, uh, you know, encouraging real in-person interactions. So we're bridging the gap between the virtual world and the physical world, and we're putting people back in person um, so they can have those face-to-face encounters, they can flex those verbal communication skills, and as we all know, um, you know, ha- have those personal interactions that are key to long-term um, successful relationships. And, you know, this, this to me, um, opens up the conversation for additional questions like, when, when, and I love what Mingly sounds like. It sounds like an excellent place, but you're right. There's a particular generation out there, Gen Z, where they grew up with, you know, everything was a touch screen. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure they're, they're touching screens. I'm like, why doesn't this work? You know, because it's not a touch screen. Um, and, and right. it's fascinating to me that that's, that's the way their brain works immediately. And it, it, it kind of sets the stage for how much of your communication do you do in person versus how much of your communication do you do virtually, online, text, et cetera. And there's an article I want to pivot to about, is it okay to break up with someone over text? And this is interesting because I think, you know, I think that's the um, the easy way out, but sometimes that's the only way out for some people. So I want to get your take on that. And I want to invite the audience to weigh in as well if they have a breakup over text story. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. We're coming right back with our guest, the founder of Mingly, Sarah Dowd. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. So the hurricane that is uh, hitting Florida is expected to make landfall tomorrow morning. And it, uh, according to the National Weather Service, it's expected to be a Category 4, which is pretty big, pretty strong. And I'm guessing people are not going to be able to break up in person if everybody's sheltered and hunkered down. So their only choice is to break up by text. But, of course, our guest uh, is the founder of Mingly.com, Sarah Doubt. And we're talking about her app, and it's, it's a, uh, an interesting app. You should check it out. Check it out at Mingly.com. And uh, the, the question I posed before we left was, is it okay to break up with someone over text? Sarah Doubt, how do you weigh in on this? Yeah, so, you know, Gen Z, they're, they're a generation that are tech savvy and they value efficiency. Texting aligns with their fast-paced lives. But, you know, while technology offers convenience, Breakup texts might lack the depth and empathy needed for, for closure. Um, not to mention, um, you know, the uh, typos uh, that could happen and kind of the uh, misreading of, of text. But, um, you know, phone calls or better yet, in-person conversations allow real dialogue showing respect and emotional maturity. So, you know, direct communication helps both sides heal and, and move forward positively. You know, this is one of those things where I think it's it's awkward, but sometimes maybe the only way out. Uh, folks, again, I want you to check out Mingly.com. Uh, that's Mingly with a Y, M-Y-N-G-L-Y.com. Now, Sarah Doubt, uh, for those who've never adventured into the world of apps such as yours, uh, what's your advice to them? Yeah, so I think embrace technology, um, but don't overlook the beauty of heartfelt conversations and in-person interactions. Um, you know, Mingly provides a platform to connect meaningfully, uh, fostering empathy and emotional maturity, which which are crucial for healthier, you know, personal and professional relationships. All right, and let everybody know how they could find you on social media as well, Sarah. Yeah, so. Um, first, you know, we are on, on the app store, both Android and Apple. Um, we are, uh, you can download our app and we're also, you can follow us on all social media platforms. Find us at Mingly apps. That's M Y N G L Y app. And that's across all social media platforms. All right, folks. Well, that's Sarah down. She's the CEO and founder of Mingly.com. Give it a check it out. And Sarah Dodd, I appreciate it. I thank you for your insight. Godspeed to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Folks, we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 833- 4 Valdez. 
That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue our discussion on dating as I spill water all over myself here. And the the issue with dating, uh, not the issue with dating, the issue with online dating is one that for, for guys like me, right? I'm 45 years old, Gen X. It's not something that I know a heck of a lot about. So it's uh, interesting, right? It's new. It's uncharted territory. It's not something I've really um, become very accustomed to, but that's not because of my age per se. I think it's more my personality because I know some people that are my age or a year younger that are um, connoisseurs of online dating apps. Like, and they have multiple on their phone. They're like, oh, yeah, I got this one. I got this one. And they're like pros at this stuff. Uh, I don't mind going out and meeting people. I just totally uh, am kind of, um, I don't know, ambivalent to the dating app. And and for no reason other than I just feel like, you know, they know more about you than, than you know about them when they're looking at a profile of you. And I'd rather just meet people. But that being said, I know everybody's doing it and it is, um, it's the way to go. And lots of people have been very successful. I was having an offline conversation during the break with uh, Mr. Hinton and he was telling me how, you know, um, he has friends that are now married and that have undergone the app process and have been very, very successful. So I'd love to present that to you guys in the audience for now and even for open phones to find out, have you had enormous success with dating apps? And is it something that you'd recommend? Do you have any horror stories? Do you have any crazy stories? I'd love to know that. The phone number is 833-482-5337. But there's a piece in the Huff Post, the Huffington Post, uh, which now I think just goes by Huff Post. It used to be the Huffington Post when it was founded by Ariana Huffington who um, her and Matt Drudge were the same people that put together the Drudge Report, a little piece of history there, and along with Andrew Breitbart, who is Breitbart.com. And anyway, um, here's the headline. Online dating was hell. Then I tried one thing that turned out to be a total game changer. And here's a quote. The women I know are suddenly meeting men who are respectful and relationship-minded and were actually going out on good dates. This is a piece by uh, Jenny Young for HuffPost. And she says, when I first got on the dating apps two years ago at age 50, I was horrified. Night after night, I grew more demoralized, flipping through my matches of all the cliched nonsense I hadn't really believed uh, was real prior to experiencing it myself. Fish pics and leering bathroom mirror selfies and married men who wanted to uh, ethically explore. Was this all there was that was out there? She wanted an actual partner, not just to be someone's partner in crime. Now, from the backseat of their Harley so that they could keep it casual and see what happens. Yeah, good point. Uh, so she goes on saying, I hadn't realized how much my age would work against me. I thought I'd be okay because my married girlfriends told me I looked good for my age. But what we hadn't uh, realized was... Hold on, lost my place here. Security. Uh, she thought she'd be okay. Their friends looked da 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 da. Uh, she didn't realize that she didn't want to meet, date men in her 30s and that men her age didn't want to date women that were her age. Still, there had to be a few decent, desirable, monogamous men out there who wanted the same things that she did and wanted them from a woman in their own age group. I was convinced I was missing something about how to make those apps work in my favor. None of the advice I read online made any difference in helping me find my needle in the haystack. 
Then late one night, listening to Rich Valdez, America at Night. Sorry, cheap plug. <laughs> then one late, uh, late night, bleary-eyed from scrolling and swiping, I googled, how do you find a needle in a haystack? I was really just fooling around, but when I saw the answer, I got chills. The answer, the way to find an actual needle in a haystack is to burn the haystack to the ground. So what you'll be left with is the needle, because metal doesn't burn. I knew this had to be the key. All of this picking through pieces of hay to find one needle was too tedious and it took too damn long. I understood that younger women used Tinder, almost like a sport or as kind of a video game, that they weren't always using it to find the one. But at my age, I didn't feel like I had that kind of time. I wanted to burn the whole stack down and find my needle. I went back to the apps and started applying a few simple rules. It changed everything. Good for you. I'm happy to hear that. So I got strict about what and who I was willing to engage with. Nearly 100% of my time and effort was now spent on men whose values and goals aligned with mine. Again, this is according to the author and her experience uh, using the apps. Five days later, I found my needle, she says. We both shut down our dating app accounts after the first date. Probably not advisable, but what can I say? That's what we did. He was everything I wanted. Kind, funny, stable, family-oriented, professionally successful, and inherently monogamous like me. We dated for two years, and for reasons too complicated to get into here, it ultimately didn't work out. He's still one of my best friends, and I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Wow, that's interesting. But I still wanted a partner. To me, that's the big story here. Why didn't it work out? What, what happened? Anyway, she goes on and she says, but I still wanted a partner. When it was time for me to try again, I decided I was going to formalize my haystack burning method and share it with others. That was going to be my feminist revolution. My own decidedly less lofty version of Gandhi's being the change I wanted to see in the world. I also um, realized that even though people are finally noticing that older women are on the rise everywhere from corporate America to Hollywood, nobody had recruited us yet to work on the disaster that is the dating apps. Gen X women were made for this disaster. We're a generation characterized by resourcefulness, self-sufficiency, and creativity. We're tech-savvy, but not tech-dependent, which means that we're perfectly capable of navigating the apps, but generously less likely to scroll ourselves into spirals and depression. So she goes on and she goes on saying she refused to be pen pals with people, uh, but she wanted to continue this, uh, this generational um, gap uh, where she reached out to more people who were Gen Xers, saying she's not a dating coach, but, but she, um, she wanted to teach people how to burn the haystack. So I'm wondering if anybody out there has had experience with with this. And uh, let's go to the phones. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Uh, Richard in Batesville, Arkansas, KSAR out of Missouri. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Hey, sir. Um, I'm over 60, and uh, I've used some of these apps for about a year now, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. I get very few responses, and I think I put out a very good profile with no fibs and no surprises. Mm-hmm. But uh, perhaps it's because I live in a smaller area, but 
it's been very, I've been on two of them, and it's been very disappointing, uh, very disappointing for me. I'm sure these women get hit with texts or all, you know, all oh, the I, time. I would imagine, but, uh, Richard, I would totally imagine. And you know what? Uh, you're not alone. For a segment that I did on my podcast, I signed up a profile for something called The Right Man, the right stuff, I think it was called. It was a conservative dating app, and I wanted to see what kind of response I got. And I got to tell you, as handsome as I am and with this gorgeous head of hair, I also got no responses on that thing. I think it was kind of fake. The people that were on there might have been bots. I don't know. But um, I really didn't get anything. Maybe I wasn't using it right. So don't lose heart, Richard. You're a good man, and there's a good woman out there for you. We're going to continue our discussion on dating straight ahead, plus all of the other hot news stories of the day. Open Phone America starts right now, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you. And again, I'm at Rich Valdez with an S on all of that social media, so chime in that way if you want, or give us a call. Join our late-night national town hall conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, there's a few things I want to talk about tonight. Uh, of course, this is the third and final hour of the program. If you're just joining us, welcome. I'm with you till 1 a.m. in the morning. Rich Valdez keeping you company. And I want to um, bring a couple of things into the conversation, right? Tonight we've discussed all of the craziness with changing the trial date uh, for Trump just a day before the biggest primary in the primary election process. Uh, we also talked about the suppression of certain emails by the Department of Justice by the United States attorney who's now been appointed a special counsel in the Hunter Biden uh, matter. And we continued that conversation uh, to include Marxism and a conversation on communism, which to me, that's one of my favorite topics to talk about because there's a quote from Karl Marx and it, it was brought to my attention by Paul Kengor, a professor from Grove City College in Pennsylvania, when he wrote the book, The Devil and Karl Marx. And the quote from Marx is this, right? Um, he, he talks about how in order for him to, to do the devilish things he was going to do, he had to kind of change his position. And here's a quote from Marx. Listen to this. Thus heaven I've forfeited. I know it full well. He wrote that in a poem in 1837, a decade before he wrote the Communist Manifesto. He goes on. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. Now, of course, that um, kind of cements the idea of, of where he's at mentally, realizing that for communism to work, this idea that he had as the founding father of communism, 
he needed to abandon ship when it came to God. So I just thought that was really interesting. And if you missed any portion of our conversation on communism with James Herson or our conversation with Professor Margot Cleveland uh, on the legality of the Trump indictments and all of that, all of that that has to do with it, um, you can always go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com and listen to it there. You could stream it from there. You can also find us on YouTube. And you can also subscribe to the podcast from whichever podcast app you use. I just ask that you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now, we also talked about dating. And, and there was a piece that I read in the Huffington Post that I thought was interesting about online dating and how people can be very successful with online dating because, you know, it's something I, I don't understand that well. I'm a little bit more of a social person. But at the same time, I get it, and I've seen people be very successful with it. So I want to get your thoughts on all of this stuff. Let's uh, hit the phones, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. And let's go to uh, Melissa, North Bergen, New Jersey, listening to WFAS out of New York, my flagship. What's up, Mel? How are you? Security. Anybody there? Hello. Hello. I think we're having a technical issue. Let's keep on hold and check that out. Let's go to Farentino, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA, America's oldest radio station. Uh, Farentino, what's up, man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Farentino, going once, going twice. Looks like the deep state has gotten to the phones for tonight. But that doesn't stop me because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. The mayor of Miami, he has suspended his presidential campaign. Uh, he's the first Republican candidate to drop out of the race. Listen to this. Uh, mayor Francis Suarez, uh, mayor of Miami, who I believe I'm scheduled to interview. I guess we'll still interview him um, and find out, you know, the postmortem on what's going on. But he suspended his 2024 campaign and he didn't qualify for the first Republican uh, presidential debate which was hosted by Fox News in Milwaukee, where they're going to be having the the first, uh, well, the this year's, or I should say next year's, uh, Republican nomination convention. Now, he um, says that he's out because of, quote, I've decided to, spe- to suspend my campaign for president, he said in a statement, noting that my commitment to making this a better nation continues. Matt Suarez said in his statement that he'll continue to amplify the voices of the Hispanic community, the fastest growing group in America, saying the left has taken Hispanics for granted for far too long. And it's no surprise that so many are finding a home in America's conservative movement. Our power, our party must continue doing more to include and attract this vibrant community that believes in our country's foundational values, faith, family, hard work, and freedom, and saying that younger voters, independents, urban voters, and suburban women, all of whom uh, he's carried in previous elections, amongst others, should find a comfortable home in the Republican Party and with their policies. So uh, it was always a long shot campaign for him. He launched in uh, in June and was one of the, the last candidates to enter the race. And, of course, now here we are in August and he is out. So, um, well, I I say I I, I like this guy. You know, I didn't think he had a a shot. It's a very crowded field and there's a lot of people in it. But I did like the guy. And I love Miami, right? And um, even uh, Miami Beach, 
uh, even more, right? Because <laughs> there's sand and it's, it's really hot, and I love that. But, uh, yeah, plenty of good party time in Miami, and hopefully we'll connect with Mayor Suarez soon and, and um, get his side of the story and learn a little bit more about it. Plus, we're going to get to your calls when we come back, so don't go anywhere, 833-482-5337, or you could chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S. Of course, the website, Rich, uh, no, yeah, Rich Valdez America at Night. That's amazing how I say these things every day and I forget them. I forget the phone number. I forget the website. Uh, anyway, 833-482-5337 is the number. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-482-5337. That's Valdez with an S. I'm so glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Now, there was a story a couple of months ago where um, there was a sorority that that had a, a man, right? I mean, this was a very visible, very large man. That was part of the sorority and and was uh, tagging along with the sorority, had pledged for this sorority. But some of the girls didn't feel safe because when he was in the sorority house, he was wearing leggings and was visibly aroused. I didn't say it. They did. And they took uh, exception to this and they tried to kick him out. And now there's a lawsuit and the judge basically, well, you know what? Uh, I'll get into this a little bit. Um, you know, I don't. I'm going to leave you hanging on that one. And tell you what the judge said, because I think that was an interesting story. Uh, but I just wanted to remind you of it and tease it a little bit. And I kind of went too far with it. But I wanted to go back to the phones because I think they've kicked the deep state out of our phone system, and the callers are now audible. So let's try this again. Uh, go to the East Coast WFAS, my flagship, and check in with Melissa. Go right ahead. Uh-huh. Hi, Rich. Okay, Look at you. There you are. <laughs> there I can we hear go. you now. I actually wanted to talk. To oh, wonderful. I can hear you. <laughs> How do I sound? Oh, I want to talk about the dating app. You sound fantastic. I, you do sound I sound amazing, like a dating app? You, sound, you don't sound like a dating app. You actually sound much better. You're clearly part of Generation, uh, you know, Z. Or X. X I'm Generation are, X. You know, X, X. <laughs> no, Z, you sound way younger. I think you're Z. Way ah. Okay, I'll take it. So you want to talk about online dating. Now, let me ask you, have you been a, a, a prolific online dater yourself? No, no. I'm part of the Generation X movement, and I've been terrified. Like you, I like to meet people in person. I've yeah. always felt like it's better to get a general look into their eyes and check out that they're not like a serial killer or anything like that. But serial killers are good at hiding that. I used to watch that show Dexter, and he was great at fooling people, and he was like a big-time serial killer. But... 
um, I also have not had any really not real experience or success with dating apps. What's your ambivalence to it? Is it just the the lack of human contact? Because you can always meet somebody there and say, hey, let's meet up for a drink at the local watering hole. What's your opposition to that? I think it's kind of like you have to really, from what I've heard, I've heard a lot of people just make up um, like these general, like, you know, pick like their whole profiles, not even real. And for me to have to take the time to get past uh-huh. that, I feel like, like while the lady had um, said she was over 15 and I'm not quite there yet, I still felt like, you know, it was really like burning the whole haystack down to try to find the needle. And I, I really just didn't have the attention span to have to really try to figure out whether they were being genuine, like whether the picture was from like 10 years ago. And also to be They call that catfishing. Yeah, major catfishing. I love that show as well. <laughs> and I really felt like, <laughs> yeah, I just felt like they did their... There's been a lot of bad stories that I've heard, um, you know, so I guess I don't feel like wasting my time. I, I don't know. I can't really explain it other than that. Like, now, I don't Let me know, ask you another seen... question, just a follow-up, if you don't mind. What was your reaction to the article in the Huffington Post about burning down the haystack to get to the needle that much faster? I thought that article was excellent. I, I felt like she really, you know, um, represented how I feel about like myself and where I'm really tech savvy, but I'm not going to spend all day on Instagram scrolling and things like that. I, I thought she also represented, you know, how it is frustrating to have to feel like you're going through all these, this haystack and actually burning. I thought it was great. I think, you know, you don't entertain the wrong people. I thought it was actually really, really enlightening to be honest. Now I agree with the, the theory, right? In, in, I guess in, um, in theory, the, the idea of burning down the haystack to get to the needle, you're left with ashes and the needle, and there you go, you found your needle. But I, I just, I still didn't, and I read a lot of that article, I just, I didn't figure out how you do that in the dating world. Did you glean that from what you heard, uh, or have you had any experience with that in actually doing it? I think, no, you know what, I I have to be honest with you, I, I, I felt like I related to it more just because it wasn't something like I've done but i've had friends who will be like you need to do it it's great it's wonderful and i'm just like yeah i don't see how that's possible because i don't see why you, you, everybody's not like you know just matching and making it happen i'm sure there are people who do make it happen but the re- what i got from the article was that basically you you're very specific at least this is what i got you're very specific in what your wants are what you're looking for and anything that doesn't fall under that specific category you don't even entertain an inbox from them like you that's burning anything that doesn't fall under there and i think that's why she said they basically you know quick they meant on the first date and they shut down the app because they found what they were looking for and what their morals and wants were right well and just so you know for your reference and everybody who's listening the author of this article has started a facebook group called burned haystack dating method burned haystack dating method where they continue to discuss how to do it and have hammered this into what they call 10 clear rules for using the dating apps to burn the haystack. One example they give is they only interact with individual messages that are well-written and reference their profiles or do something to extend the conversation. No more entertaining, hey, gorgeous, (laughs) or other messages where men uh, uh, whose profiles only contain their cell phone number because they're not actually paying to use the app. So I guess taking the the people and the messages and reactions that you get a little bit more seriously. So I think you were right on that one. 
And another thing that it brings up is, is we refuse to be pen pals and we refuse to fight with men to waste any of our time and energy putting them in their place, even if they deserve it. Women still take a lot of abuse and aggression on dating apps is a parenthetical statement here. And it says, instead, we just block them. If a conversation is decent but not moving towards meeting in real life within a week or two, we block without further interaction. Block to burn. That's kind of how you burn the haystack. Interesting. And it's become a, a mantra in the burned haystack group because blocking is the only way to prevent the apps from recycling that same match. If you block rather than just swipe left, you're assured of never seeing that guy again, which means the app has no choice but to show you new matches that might be much better. Interesting, very interesting topic, I'd say. So, uh, Melissa, do you see yourself using this strategy? Um, are, do you feel more equipped? Do you feel more um, gung-ho about using dating apps, or are you still somewhat kind of on the fence? You know, I actually kind of like it because before you even said it, it's really what I was thinking, like, well, just block them. Like, so it's basically just not entertaining nonsense and not wasting my time, which is basically what, you know, I had started saying, which was, like, it just seems like a waste. You know, people just, exactly, don't even give them the time of day, block. But I never thought about the fact that in the algorithm, it might bring that person back up. So if you block them, you're never going to see them again. And it has to, it's forced to actually give you somebody else. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I, me too. I, would, I wouldn't be anti it. I'd be interested in seeing how the burn, the, the burn the haystack method goes. I might give it a, a, a shot. Maybe I'd love you it know, if you did, even just as an experiment, and called us back and told us the results. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully there'll be you know men out there willing to put in the effort because I think that's the problem. It's, there's this whole generation of lazy people just hooking up, being able to do that, and not actually having to put an effort. That's what they're used to. That's probably not you know somebody for me. So yeah, I'll let you know. That sounds good. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in from the New York area, North Bergen, New Jersey, on WFAS. Uh, love that place. That's uh, where uh, we broadcast live out of WFAS every single day. So I appreciate your call. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. Uh, we're, we have a couple of people online. And just stick with me. We're going to get to you. I'm not going to you right away, only because we have a, a commercial break coming up. And... I didn't think we were going to spend so much time on dating, but I think it's a very interesting topic because there's so many people that are in the throes of this. So if you have a dating story or if you've used the online dating apps and uh, you have a success story or even a horror story, I'm willing to hear them both. Again, our phone number is 833-482-5337, and that's 833-4-VALDES. Or you can chime in on social media at Rich Valdez with an S, and I'm going to look for your comments during the break, and we're on all the social media, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Truth Social, uh, and Getter as well. So uh, definitely let me know where you're at with that. Plus, I want to, um, there was another reminder I had. I think it was one of these articles I wanted to get into. I'm a little ADD-ish today uh, in my uh, scatterbrainedness, but there was an article here that I wanted to mention for the bottom of the hour, and it was, let me see, it was not the Pope. There was a Pope story, but that wasn't it. It was a, a Chicago news crew. That was it. A Chicago news crew was reporting on theft in the area when they were robbed. And there is no, zero evidence of this gunpoint robbery because they stole the evidence when they robbed them. I'll tell you about that story in a moment. Plus, there's a lawsuit. Burger King has been sued 
because the Whopper is too small. Yeah, and they said, no, 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 we're going to dismiss that. That's a frivolous lawsuit, and the judge said, nope, not so fast. I'm letting the lawsuit go through with your small burgers. So we're going to talk about that as well. And, of course, anything else you want to talk about, 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. our thoughts and prayers with everybody in Florida as the hurricane is expected to make landfall uh, shortly and uh, expected to be a category four storm. Now, of course, our topic right now has been dating and Trump and the illegality of his indictments, as well as the broad conversation we had on communism and anything you want to bring to the table. So give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to go to, let's see, the um, other part of the country, down south. Let's go to Fort Myers, Florida, WGUF, and check in with Greg. Hey, Greg, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing great, brother. Good night. Good evening. Buenos dias. Good morning. Well, good. I have uh, two quick success stories oh, from online. Um, are, is this like no names, please, or can you mention the website? Uh, you could do whatever you got to do. Okay. Well, the first one I ever tried was called SinglesNet. And I had a girlfriend back home that... Uh, Pretty much ignored me and never came over. So I met a girl in Youngstown. I'm actually from Ohio. And uh, I went down there, and she was a sexual goddess. <laughs> For real. I'm telling you, man. Anyway. Is that so, like her job or her screen name? No, 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 not at all. Just but what she was. When I got down there, we just clicked. Bam. Just like that. So then down the road from that, she moved away from where she was, and I lost track of her. And uh, so I got on Plenty of Fish. Plenty of Fish? Yeah, I've heard of that one. Is, yeah, it's a freebie, right? And... I'm now with a woman that I met 14 years ago on plentyoffish.com. I was from Akron originally, and I moved to Galleon, Ohio, where she mm -hmm. lived, and bought the house from her mother. And so I own the house, and we've been together 13 years physically, right? 
And uh, we never had an argument. So Sounds like a match made in heaven. Yes, sir. It, well, I deserved it. I had two marriages from hell. So <laughs> I'm a lot Third time had to be now. the charm. Yes, sir. Outstanding story, Greg. Let me tell you, um, you, you I'm almost inspired to go and open up the dating app. But uh, I've recently met a, um, a lovely young woman, and uh, we're going to see how that goes. Right? So far, so good. Very promising. So I don't think I need the app just yet. But if, I, if it doesn't fly right, I'm going straight to the app. I'm going to Plenty of Fish like you've instructed me to because it sounds like it's a, an app that works well. Now, Greg, before you go, I would just want to check with you. How's the weather in Fort Myers? I know it's starting to rain and there's been some flooding reported with the anticipation of the storm making landfall. Yes, when I talked to your screener, I was out in the Lanier. Uh, I'm at my brother's house. He's got a pool in the Lanier. And what's the and weather like? Right now we're getting a lot of lightning, some thunder, and I can see the rain coming in through the screen over the pool. Mm-hmm. And it got a little... It got a little loud out there, so I came in here so you wouldn't have all that background noise on the air. Gotcha. Are you seeing the but, flooding uh, that, that we're hearing about, or is it just rain? Uh, well, he's on a uh, in a gated community, and it, there's a golf course right behind us. Yeah. And from my spec- second floor bedroom there's a small pond that uh generally speaking you know eagles go to and stuff trying to yeah. get food is it flooding though and I, oh dude the entire golf course is a lake i'm talking wow. like as far as you can see left and right that is wow, so all everything's underwater water. yes sir crazy Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Well, like I said, our thoughts and prayers for you guys out there. It's uh, I know it's part and parcel of living in Florida. I used to date a girl in Fort Lauderdale, and and every time there was a hurricane, I'd call her and be like, hey, you all right? And, and she'd be like, yeah, yeah, we're just having a hurricane party. <laughs> we just boarded up our windows and uh, hit the liquor store, and uh, you know we're just going to have a party indoors. And that's literally how her and the neighbors used to do it. I just thought that was... Uh, Interesting, um, but that's how they do it down in South Florida. So, um, Godspeed to everybody in Florida. And folks, we're coming right back to your calls. I said we got calls in Pittsburgh and others that are coming in right now. Eight three three four eight two five three three seven. More right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now eight three three four Valdez. That's eight three three four eight two. 5337 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. 833-482-5337. Listen, I don't say the phone number for you all the time. I'm saying it so that I can remember it because I forget it all the time. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. You're welcome to call on any of our lines. Our legacy line is open as well. And I want to go to, before we before we go to Sheridan, Wyoming, I want to check in with our buddy Farentino in Pittsburgh. Farentino, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. How are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. How are you? Good to hear from you, brother. What's going on? Well, my friend Scotty said he didn't like the online dating. He said, you ever see a turtle, walk turtle, walk across the road? Isn't that really cool? Go try to find one. <laughs> yeah, and they take forever. Like a chance and out, you know. That it's just, you, you run in, you're just going to run into a woman. When I was in my 20s and dating, Rick, my close ratio is like 80. If a girl wasn't dating somebody or married, I got to take it. They didn't count with every, every letter of the alphabet. Three dates <laughs> is good. After three dates, you get an option. That's if I did a dating service, that's what I'd do. The three date, the three day option, and then move on. Sounds sounds good to me. I'd, I'd sign up for that. Right? And, uh, I mean, you know, who, the first who wouldn't? Dates are just, it, it's, it's really cool. But nowadays, they don't date, though. They just, uh, they text. I know this one real pretty girl that works at a coffee shop. She's 21, and she was never asked out directly. Isn't that interesting? That goes back to what we talked about with our guest about Generation Z having this aversion to phone calls, and they're saying that that kind of parlays into other parts of their life, and that's an interesting one. How do I take you on a date? I mean, I guess I could text you and say, hey, look, I want to take you to dinner. But if uh, I don't want to talk to you on the phone, then maybe I don't want to see you at dinner. And it's like, then how do we do this whole thing? Like, what are we going to do? I got a girlfriend, really? Yeah, she's on my text. <laughs> when do you see her? Oh, I text her all the time. <laughs> Just imagine, right? That kind of drives me crazy. Uh, I can't have a girlfriend in text, anyone in real life. But that that's absolute uh, lunacy. Now, um, so she's never been on a date. Um, how does she anticipate moving forward, like getting married and having a meaningful relationship if nobody takes her out? I don't know. We didn't talk extensively about it. She worked at the coffee shop, but she did start dating a guy at the coffee shop there, and I don't know if they were still together or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, real nice girl, and she just said, after that, I guess he did ask her out, but after that point, it was all like uh, text or whatever. But um, Anyway, I got an interesting story. What you said about fish, you know, uh, you've had many fish in the sea. I just, Fred yeah. Woody, Woody was only five foot one. And he found a woman who was four foot 11. And he was in love with her, but she did not return his love. And I said, Woody, there's many more minnows in the creek. Thought. <laughs> Great analogy. I love that. Farentino calling us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA, America's oldest radio station, by the way. And uh, I want to just share this with you. We're going to go to the rest of your calls in a moment. Uh, we've got calls on hold and just stick with me. But I want to read this to you because this is an interesting thing in psychology today. Five common pieces of dating advice that can be useless or bad. Sometimes it's smart to do the opposite of conventional advice. There's plenty of generic dating advice out there, but such generic advice can be useless and even harmful. While some dating advice has some truth to it. Not all of it works for everybody at the same time. So the first one is marry the right person. They're saying this is a bad piece of advice. Saying, um, 
should I make the goal to marry the wrong person? Of course, this changes a lot of people's perspectives. Uh, but peop- uh, Warren Buffett says that to marry the right person, many people act as if um, th- there was some sort of brilliant revelation that they didn't know about. Uh, the, the tough part of this is defining, finding, and recognizing who the right person is and having that right person feel the same way about you. So the trouble with focusing too much on this piece of advice is that you may have a very rigid image of whom the right person needs to be and then overlook those who actually could end up being a really good match for you. Going into a date with the is this the one type of attitude is is going to bounce around in your head and could distract you from simply getting to know the right person who may actually be sitting there and you're in your head about it. So uh, I guess I see their rationale here in this point number one, but I got to say, I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. Um, I just don't know. But it goes on to say that confidence is everything. And they say, no, that's a lie. Confidence is not. So the lack of confidence can be uh, just as important uh, as not having confidence. I don't know who wrote this article, but to me, it sounds kind of phony baloney. Then it says, three, try online dating. Then it says, no, don't try online dating. This is another bad piece of advice. Rather than actually uh, introducing people uh, in real life, you shouldn't um, resort to online dating. Um, It says, try going to the supermarket, try different things. Again, it looks like I don't really, um, I don't agree with a lot of these things. The, um, the These points of advice, I think, are actually good pieces of advice. You should try online dating. You should try to marry the right person. And uh, if some psychologist in psychology today comes and tells you that you're wrong, well, no. And who is it? It's it's actually not a psychologist. It's an MD. Bruce Y. Lee, MD, MBA. Well, sir, I disagree with you. If we can find Bruce Y. Lee, MD, MBA, maybe I'm misreading what he's writing here. I'd love to have him on the program and have that discussion. Anyway, we're going to go to your call here right now in Sheridan, Wyoming, K-R-O-E, right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So according to CNBC, there's uh, an article saying that if the bride is 25 years or younger, couples are getting cash rewards to promote earlier marriage in China. Uh, Local Chinese officials are trying to offer cash. They're actually offering a thousand yuan or one hundred and thirty seven dollars. And these are uh, cash gifts. If you marry someone under the age of 25, which I think is uh, pretty cool. I don't know why they're promoting marriage, but I'm glad they are. Uh, I don't usually agree with what the Chinese do, but that's what they're doing. I wonder if we could uh, incentivize that. And do we want the government paying people to get married? I guess it's better than paying them to not get married, like through the welfare system. But either way, let's go to the phones and talk about dating a little bit here. Uh, Let's go to Jim. He's calling from Sheridan, Wyoming, K-R-O-E. Jim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. 
Rich. I'm pleased to get on. I really uh, am a full-time listener and uh, uh, really admire you, so it's really pleasing to get on with you. Anyway, well, thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. My honor. Well, I, you know, um, I was divorced about seven years ago and was married to a beautiful Latina from the Dominican Republic. And Oh, my gosh, me too. Twelve years now I've been divorced. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, you kind of know the feeling then. It's, uh, But I just thought, uh, well, you know, you think you're going to find somebody right away, but I thought, you know, I'm going to try this dating site and uh, got on uh, one that has a lot of European gals, a lot of Ukrainian gals, probably 70% are Ukrainian. And mm-hmm. um, was funny, you know, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> family and uh, people would say, "Oh, you don't want you're probably you're going to get scammed," you know. But my nephew, uh, probably the funniest thing, he said, "Oh, you're probably uncle, you're probably really talking to some fat gay Indonesian guy in a dirty tank top <laughs> and shorts," you know. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of alarmed me. So, I six weeks after I got on, I actually flew to Ukraine. Flew into Odessa, and the first gal I dated was in Mariupol, and uh, so it was a 10-hour bus ride from Odessa. And I uh, went up there, and it turned out she was a beautiful young lady, and uh, had a, you know, I spent there like four days, and uh, they showed me around. And, uh, and she was real, and she a wasn't a fat dude in a, in a tank top, was she? Yeah, exactly. She was absolutely beautiful, and uh, the interpreter was nice, and we, it just it was a really pleasant time. And wow. so then I actually have gone gone back to uh, Ukraine like four times. I went to Odessa, Odessa three more times, and then uh, Kiev uh, about three years ago now, and over the Christmas holidays. But anyway, oh, yeah. I just kind of, kind of proved my family wrong. Although I still get hassled, you know. But uh, I've met yeah, uh, actually right. But it was I've actually real, and, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And I have. Uh, three right now that I'm kind of dividing my time among. And, uh, <laughs> you are I a baller, sir, a playboy. <laughs> Jim, I, I want to thank you. I don't mean to cut you short, but good luck to you. And, you know, it's funny. I, I, my ex-wife is also a uh, Dominican, born in the United States, but of Dominican heritage. And uh, afterwards, I did date a girl, uh, not from Ukraine, but from close by Kazakhstan, also spoke Russian, and, um, and, and went the same route. Uh, until I kind of came circling back to the Latinas now. But uh, interesting, very interesting. Jim, thanks for the call. Big shout-out to KROE, Sheridan, Wyoming. And let's go to Paul. He's in Zanesville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. Yeah, I just like this little advice for the – I'm 59 years old, and this little advice for some of the younger men out there, don't be afraid to ask out that very pretty girl because I'll tell you what, a lot of them don't get ask out. Because they're yep. pretty, just for that reason. And I told a girl that one time. She said, well, nobody ever asked me out because she's pretty. And I met the prettiest woman in my life when I was 16, and I'm now 59, and I've been with her for 45 years. So don't be wow. afraid to ask out that pretty girl. Yeah, so that that was, what, that was the only thing I had to add tonight, Rich. And uh, I appreciate you so much because you have such good shows, and I listen to you every night. Oh, thank you, Paul. I appreciate you. And big shout out to everybody in Zanesville, Ohio, and WHIZ. So what turned out to be an hour on dating uh, was originally intended to be just one segment on dating. But it seems that there was a lot of interest on our topic of dating. So we'll do more of it as, as um, you know, we, we move forward. But I want to thank everybody who joined the conversation tonight because, um, you know, it can't be easy to put yourself out there unless you're, you're Jim 
from uh, Wyoming because Jim in Wyoming now has three girlfriends. <laughs> All these, these hot blondes from Ukraine. So big shout out to Jim again. But uh, that was a great conversation. And thanks to everybody for, who participated, all of our guests as well. And if you ever miss any of our guests, make sure you check us out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. That's the website for everything. Um, just check it out and feel free to subscribe to the podcast absolutely free. You don't, it doesn't cost you anything and you'll get notified every time there's a new episode, which is this show condensed and it comes out in about an hour from now and you could listen anytime. Folks, that's all I've got. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night and God bless. We're going to do it all again tomorrow. Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen.